Check out the Blast Off Podcast. Your hosts, Judd Myers and Scott Tipton, are your tour guides through the world of comic books, pop culture, and comic book retail. Plus, amazing conversations with creative forces from film, television, music, and comics. The Blast Off Podcast. Available wherever finer podcasts are found or at blastoffcomics.com. And now, live from Level 5 Productions on the island of Milleronia, it's The Larry Miller Show! Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. America, and everyone who loses his car in a parking lot. Hi, folks, and welcome back to The Larry Miller Show. I'm Larry Miller, but in a way, aren't we all? And boy, oh boy, is it a nice day here. And it is. It's frankly, it's, I'm, I'm on the mainland now because I'm traveling today. I'll mention that quickly in a little bit. But uh, it is gorgeous. It's a little gray and a little rainy and a little warm, but gorgeous nonetheless. And it makes me and Colonel Jeff feel very happy, especially that music. It always does, and it always will. Of course, that's the Jeff Goldflam Orchestra and the Greer Garson Dancers, featuring boy tenor Steve Becker asking the musical question, hopefully we're on the same page, or maybe we need to agree to disagree. But at the end of the day, don't you think we have a full plate of cliches? No. Never. Good question, though. And I'll explain what I mean, well, in four seconds. But, you know, it's, it is a good question. At the, at the end of the day, don't you think we have a full plate of uh, cliches? And I feel, no, no, there's no such thing. We never will have a full plate. Couldn't you say the same thing about women's breasts? And um, <laughs> you're awake now, huh? <laughs> But, but you know what? Full plate of cliches. I'll tell you what, Steve, that, that's an interesting idea. Let's put a pin in it and tuck it away for a rainy day, and maybe we can bring it out, flip the script, think outside the box, run it up the flagpole and see who salutes. Oh, and it'll be totally organic. I know what you mean, though. It makes you get a little nutty with uh, so many sayings and, well, cliches. But I like it, and I like talking to you about it and to everyone out there. And I'm glad it'll be totally organic, even though I don't know what that means. And it's nice to mention, very meaningful to mention, the great Greer Garson. And one of the, I'll be mentioning her later, never mind why, but God bless her, she was always one of the, one of the great stars of screen. And Jeff Goldflam, who, uh, wow, good friend from high school, a great fella, fun to hang around with, a great athlete, good soccer player, and uh, strong and fast, and uh, he was always one of my friends. And I've been thinking about him because he was killed in the attack on the World Trade Center. He was in there. And he was one of us 
who was murdered and didn't make it out. And it uh, it makes me uh, think of him, and I'll be I'll be mentioning that later too. Boy, everything's coming a little later today. But it's worth saying that again. God bless you, Jeff. And I, I hope you're just flying high. And by the Larry Miller Store. That's right, folks, the Larry Miller Store. Gee, it's wonderful to bring that out. It makes me feel great. Uh, the, the Larry Miller Store, of course. That's something you can get to from our website, which, as you know, is uh, LarryMillerPodcast.com. Who's on the mountain? Tom Mix. <laughs> that was a good one. It's a good ball game organ. And uh, of course, I'm always waiting for the thing at the end, though. You know, like one piano note, a saxophone, blat, or uh, anything at all, or just, you know, whatever it is, a balloon opening up. Uh, but it is, it's great to think of, you know what? The Larry Miller Store. We have so many wonderful things to get, and I haven't mentioned it in quite a while. Please take a look. Uh, click our banner. Does it have a banner there for the Larry Miller Store? We have something there. But please go to it. And, uh, boy, I, you'll find things you really like. Choose. We have three T-shirt designs. Choose from those. And they're available for gentlemen, ladies, and even doggies. And that's actually so true, it's not funny. It's really true. The uh, Click on the store link on our website, which, remember, is at LarryMillerPodcast.com. Who's on the mountain? Tom Mix. <laughs> I like the pitch on that one, too. It goes... <laughs> In any case, folks, we do we have great gifts there. So you know what? Please do that. Go to uh, the Larry Miller store on our website, LarryMillerPodcast.com. And no, don't worry, I won't say it again. <laughs> Who's on the mountain? Tom Mix. That's a good one. Yeah, and that, that last thing, that sounds like the Titanic just before, after the guy in the in the big pole there just said, hey, anybody watching this? Because I, I don't think this is good. And now that brings me to my favorite part of the show, the joke of the week. Well, this is a good one. The uh, The colonel and I both got a nice giggle out of this. And I hope you do, too. Uh, a young man brings his uh, blonde girlfriend to a big football game, big professional football game for the first time. She's never been before. And uh, he got great seats for them right at the 50-yard line, about five, eight rows up behind the team there. And, well, you know what? They 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 had a great time. It was a terrific game. And he doesn't say a word. He just loves being at the game. And he's, well, he has a big crush on her. And after the game, as they're sitting there, he smiles at her and says, well, what did you think? Did you have a good time? She said, you know, I did. I had a a, a fine time, a, a wonderful time. But I'm I, there was a lot I didn't understand, frankly. And, uh, well, she says, I don't understand why they're fighting over 25 cents. 
And he says, what? What? Uh, what, do you, what do you mean? Why are they fighting over 25 cents? And he doesn't know what she's talking about. And she says, well, in the beginning of the game, uh, the two captains and the two refs went out there into the middle of the field and they, they flipped a quarter. And the, someone kicked off and someone received and they played the whole first half they played. And all I heard was everyone on both sides yelling, get the quarterback. Get the quarterback. <laughs> I hope you like that. We got a kick out of it. And uh, you know what? I hope that actually you never know how love is because at the after that joke, I laughed. And then I thought, I, ha I hope that couple fell in love and had a great life together. And uh, then they learned something, too. They learned that in the future, she may not need to go with him to things like a football game. And he may not need to have her there. And she'll have things she likes to do that he's in, he doesn't want to go to. He doesn't want to go to a department store with her on a Saturday afternoon and hold her bag sitting on the ottoman there near the dressing rooms and where women are dressing. <laughs> I remember I took one of our sons in there to, we wanted to get my wife something. And we went to, I just realized it was Victoria's Secret. And we went in the, in the mall. But I don't understand why it's in the mall, by the way. And it's fine with me. It's all good with me. Hey, I was the one who said, let's go in here. And, uh, but I remember he was, uh, let's see, he was uh, three or four years old. And we did. We sat down on the little, little ottoman there by the dressing rooms. And he kept, you know, getting up and doing that kid run into the dressing rooms. And uh, I just, uh, you know, he did that. I said, come here. I shouted, hey, 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 come on. Come on out back. And he came out giggling again. And then he, he did it again. How, you know how fast kids do things. He just went zoom, bam, you know, right back in. And I said, you know, to him, uh, he came back out giggling again. And uh, I, uh, <laughs> I remember I put him on my knee. And I, I was laughing, too. And I just said, Look, first of all, you, you 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 can't just do that. Nice try, though. It's that's one of the women came over from the sales women who sales girls who came over and said, uh, you know, you can't. I said, I know, I know, I know, and he knows too. But this is, and I said to her, this is practically the one age though where a man could do that and uh, just kind of dart in there. And uh, she looked at me for a second. I said, I'm not asking to do it. He didn't. <laughs> He's three years old. We don't know where he gets it. But <laughs> I do remember that. In any case, get the quarterback. And that brings us to my second favorite part of the show, the Poetry Corner. corner i just realized it's i'm going to be thinking about the dressing room of victoria's secret for a long time now now that it's back in my memory in my head so whatever i do drive to the airport doesn't matter i'll be thinking well what is in there you know because i don't know and what well folks what is in there i mean somebody out there must know a bunch of you must know send a note to to me on the on uh well on our podcast 
uh, website, rather. This is the podcast, the one where I'm speaking. Ooh, I, I figured that one out. <laughs> Thank you. That was that was Mr. Fox, my teacher. I got a gold star, I think. In any case, this is a good poem by the great Henry Lawson. He was an Australian poet, lived from 1867 to 1922, and he was one of the Bush poets, which was their version of the cowboy poets. And they had well, a lot of great writers and a lot of great poets and three bathrooms in the entire continent. <laughs> well, I'm just being silly. Could have been four. But in any case, uh, the great Henry Lawson wrote this one, and it's called A Prouder Man Than You. If you fancy that your people came of better stock than mine... If you hint of higher breeding by a word or by a sign, if you're proud because of fortune or the clever things you do, then I'll play no second fiddle. I'm a prouder man than you. If you think that your profession has the more gentility and that you are condescending to be seen along with me, if you notice that I'm shabby while your clothes are spruce and new— you have only got to hint it. I'm a prouder man than you. If you have a swell companion when you see me on the street and you think that I'm too common for your Tony friend to meet so that I, in passing closely, fail to come within your view, then be blind to me forever. I'm a prouder man than you. If your character be blameless, if your outward past be clean, while tis known my antecedents are not what they should have been, do not risk contamination. Save your name whate'er you do. Birds of a feather fly together. I'm a prouder man than you. Keep your patronage for others. Gold and station cannot hide. Friendship that can laugh at fortune, friendship that can conquer pride. Offer this as to an equal. Let me see that you are true, and my wall of pride is shattered. I am not so proud as you. Isn't that nice? I think that's lovely. Thank you, Henry. And good work. There must be a lot of good bush poets that we can get to there. And you know what, folks? I'm pretty sure we will. And that brings me to my third favorite part of the show. M.M.M. The Magic Movie Moment. Ah, I love that last note. Folks, this is a great movie, and that's... One of the reasons I brought up Greer Garson before, God bless her, boy, she was, uh, what an actor, what an actress. And you know what? She was in this movie, Mrs. Miniver. She starred in this movie. It's from 1942, which you'll recall, and of course they were English, and it's an English movie, and they were, in 1942, they were all in the middle of World War II. Uh, we forget that sometimes, that England was fighting and the English people were fighting a long time before we were. I think Poland was invaded, I think it was 1939. And we 
joined the war. We declared war after the attack on Pearl Harbor, the sneak attack that was December 7th, 1941. Boy, and uh, you know what? Mrs. Miniver was a great movie. It's a story about, well, a middle-class English family or upper-middle-class, and they have a beautiful home, and they Oh, I have a couple of folks, a couple of servants who work there. But it's 1942, and they're at war. And it's a story of how a British family struggles to survive these days of World War II. Oh, and what a... Directed by William Wyler. What a great director. Starring Greer Garson, Walter Pidgeon, Teresa Wright. Oh, I hope you know all of them. They're wonderful. Dame May Witty. Reginald Owen, Henry Travers, Richard Ney. Oh, they're all so good. Henry Wilcoxon, the great actor. Oh, and in fact, it's a great scene of his I'm going to be talking about today. And uh, Brenda Forbes, Claire Sanders, Marie DeBecker. Again, if those are a couple of names you don't know right off the bat, it's a fabulous movie. It's so deeply touching, and it tells such a good story. And, well, you know what? I just realized, it it just struck me that, no, it's not the Henry Wilcoxon scene. He plays the pastor. That scene was so powerful uh, at the end of the movie uh, with his talking to his congregation after the church has been bombed and bombed out by the Germans, and it was so moving that President Roosevelt chose that scene with Henry Wilcoxon to be used everywhere to tell the story of why Americans should support their allies, the Brits, and uh, what this war was about. But folks, I'll tell you, there is something that is so meaningful. The uh, Her son, uh, that is uh, Greer Garson's son in the movie, Vin, Vin Miniver, who's played by Richard Ney, is a new pilot now. In uh, He's a new fighter pilot in the British Air Force, in the Royal Air Force. And they're fighting every day and every night. This is during the Battle of Britain. And they lost many, many great young men that way. And, uh, and so, of course, Greer Garson... And Walter Pidgeon, Mr. and Mrs. Miniver, are thinking about him all the time. And folks, one day Walter Pidgeon, as Mr. Miniver, is called in with his friends in the area and the whole neighborhood. And really, turns out, almost all of England, all the men their age, take their boats and borrow boats and borrow. These aren't big yachts. These are just 20, 30 40-footers, and they all have a secret mission that turns out to be Dunkirk. I don't know if you've seen the movie that was just out about Dunkirk, but what a story in uh, in British military life. And he goes, before anyone knows what that meant, he goes to spend that day and that night before, and uh, back and forth they went to rescue their troops from the beaches in France, and then to bring them back home. And they did. It was a tremendous British victory. And 
frankly a good step for them and one that they needed, but the point is now his wife, and with their son in the service, and now his wife, Mrs. Miniver, Mrs. K. Miniver, Greer Garson, is in the home, and we don't think of it, but she's in there alone, and a German fighter is has crash-landed right there. Remember, this is, the, once again, the Battle of Britain. It's really something. And he's a great actor named Helmut Dantine. And he was, by the way, uh, you know, uh, he was uh, German, but came to the United States to get away from uh, from Hitler. And he wasn't the only one who who did that. It was, um, oh, good Lord, I her name just slipped my mind again. Marlena Dietrich, Mar the great actress and dancer and singer. Marlena Dietrich, who was so great at, by the way, drama and comedy as well, but so many of them. So Helmut Dantine plays a, a German flyer who has crash-landed, and he's a little banged up, and he's bleeding, and he comes into the Miniver's house to look to steal some food. he That's where he landed in that area there. And Kay Miniver... Greer Garson comes into him in the kitchen and they start talking. It's such a deeply moving scene. He is, he is just, well, he's attacking. He's a fierce attacker. He's a hundred percent Nazi. We use these words a lot these days and sometimes they mean this or that or more than they think or but, folks, in those days, it only meant one thing, and that thing was not good. And Helmut Dantine says to her, and she gives him food, but she's as scared, by the way, as we are watching this. And they they have a piece of uh, ham sitting on the counter there, and she cuts him and gives him a piece of that and a piece of bread. And he's eating, and he's telling her what they did. And it's so bad, but there's no choice. There's no way out. He describes what they just did in Holland. And oh, his way of speaking, his accent is so great. In two weeks we did this. We did, in everything we did, we killed everyone. We destroyed their the whole country. We will do the same for you. And he says that and she, she, she slaps him and says with all this feeling in her, she says, you will not. And that's a moment I'm telling you that is true magic. And he smiles at himself and he cracks her in the face now. And, but so hard with his good arm, it knocks her down onto the floor and well, knocks the wind, makes her a, a, a little punchy, a little dizzy there. And, She's she's try, trying to get herself back together again, and he's looking at her. Now, there's no dialogue for any of this, and he's he's looking at her, and then we just see his eyes. It's a great shot. He's looking at her, you know, with contempt, and his eyes. On we see the shot on him. His eyes just angled down just a little. We can't see what he's looking at, but we know what he's looking at. And then there's a shot back to her because she's just getting her wits about her again. And her dress slipped up 
above her knees, just a tiny bit, but just enough. And now she wakes up fully, and remember, still no words. And she looks at him, and his eyes go back up to look at her. And he, st- you know, he straightens himself a little and starts to move toward her. It's, it's a shattering moment, and she sits up and gathers all her strength and grabs the knife that she used to cut the ham and sits up with the knife in her hand. And folks, that moment is the history of England for thousands of years, all in that one woman, Mrs. Miniver. And she holds that knife up, and without words, she is saying, you will not get me. And at that second, well, there's a ruckus outside because some of the local soldiers, the English soldiers, had seen his plane land, or crash, rather, and they tracked him to the to the Miniver house. And he, he immediately runs out, forgets about her, and runs out, just runs out the kitchen door and just away, runs here, runs there. But they catch him. We don't see this. But they catch him, and then two, uh, well, local uh, sort of soldiers. I was just going to say we might call them the the Minutemen from our revolution, and uh, they see her and they help her up. It's so British. And they said to you, you all right, Mrs. M? And then she says, no, I'm fine. Thank you. And she just pulls herself together, which right there again, it's such a British thing to do. She just says, no, thank you, and I'm all right. And uh, then the three of them, uh, his friend comes in and says, they got him. And uh, there's a moment of of, of silence there, a few seconds, and they're both looking out that door. We don't even see what they're looking at, but she just says something quietly to them. What do you do with people like that? And the movie continues. It's, It's a wonderful, wonderful movie, but it's, Such a good question. What do you do with people like that? There's no talking to a guy like that. There's no saying, well, you know what, maybe. Hi, why don't we sit down and see if we can't find common ground? Common ground? Uh, I don't think there is any. But at that moment, folks, and by the way, what a wonderful movie. Please see it sometime. Mrs. Miniver, with the greatest cast, and Henry Wilcoxon, God bless him, plays a great pastor. It was a huge, uh, had a tremendous effect on the English people, on the English government in America, and uh, because we, it was, well, it was early 1942, and we had just had a few months before Pearl Harbor, and we were in it now, too. And by the way, Helmut Danteen did not have an easy time of it in Hollywood, just walking around, going to a coffee shop. I mean, that's how big this movie was, and he was great in it, in that part of the Nazi pilot. He was so awful, such a bad man, and nobody was, frankly, nobody was happy to see him. So he used to go out with friends of his who were other big stars to go out just to 
get a cheese sandwich to do anything really and just to show folks that uh and have maybe a a brief because the places would get quiet they would get silent if helmet dantine just walked in and good luck now you know you don't want to eat what they give you who knows what they're going to give you but he um good for him god bless him he was a great actor and had a great part in that in any case, please, please see that sometime. And that's the magic movie moment for me, that scene. Oh, and it's so wonderful because in the story, in the script, in the directing from William Wyler, that night, Walter Pigeon, Mr. Miniver, comes back home after serving for days without sleep at Dunkirk, saving his country's soldiers saving British troops and taking them back and forth, back and forth. And, of course, his wife, Greer Garson, Mrs. Miniver, Kay Miniver, had just been through this with with the German pilot. And, folks, when they he gets back, he washes up, and, uh, of course, they're both just, they're both just completely out of it with what they've been through. But they do such an English thing, which is a compliment, that uh, she says to him, how, how did it go there? And he said, oh, fine, fine. He doesn't say anything about, you wouldn't believe what happened. And the same thing, he says to her, are you all right? And she said, yes, it's fine. It was, it was a good day. And they're not trying to take attention away from it, but that's the way they were. And you know what? I like it. Please see it sometime, Mrs. Miniver. To travel that much, to go serve in that context, to serve in Europe, to march across France. Oh, after D-Day, folks, it's really, it's really something. And uh, you know, I like. That's why, frankly, I, I like being on the road too. And I'm go- and I'm going on the road after we do the show today. That's why. I'm back on the mainland because uh, I have two shows in the next few days. I'm uh, working with Seinfeld, with Jerry Seinfeld in uh, Tucson, Arizona, and in Riverside here in California. And uh, those are great shows. He always, I, I love it. He goes to great theaters, and boy, he can sell them out. He doesn't need any help selling those theaters out. But it lets us catch up. It's nice to be, well, we've been friends since the day we met. And that's really nice. So I'm going to fly to Tucson and, and then and then fly to Riverside. And he, here's a, kind of a funny thing. I'm driving my son's car to the airport because my garage door is broken. And I, I can't open it. Well, that's fine. It's not the end of the world. I was telling that to Colonel Jeff. You know, it's. No reason to fall apart, you know. What do I do? I can't open the garage door. Well, I've got my son's car in the driveway, and uh, this is how the little things become the big things. Because I've already, in the last few days that I've been driving his car, I couldn't get the garage people out here till next week, a few days from now. And uh, But I've already gotten lost in the Ralph's supermarket because I couldn't find my car in the parking lot. 
That's another one of those, how dumb can one get? Because after you shop and you push that cart into the, uh, it's a two-story apartment building below the Ralphs, and I had forgotten I had taken my son's car, and I'm looking for mine in the places I always park. And I said, what in the world? This this is ridiculous. I can't find my car. Now, there's dumb, and then there's dumb, meaning, well, I, I would look around for my car. This is three times now, including this morning. When I got the colonel and I got the colonel and me some, uh, well, some coffee to make for uh, for the show, for the big show, and uh, but it's funny it only took four or five minutes on different levels in the parking lot before, well, you know, Professor Miller here remembered. Oh, I don't have my car, and then well, it took four or five minutes after that to find his. But that's fine. It's just that another why you... How dumb can one get? And, uh, you know, I made... uh, By the way, I made fancy coffee for me and Colonel Jeff. And that's, as I said, my quick trip this morning to Ralph's. And, uh, but you never know what you're going to... I like all the people at Ralph's, and they like me. I've been there a thousand times. And so they're not, they see me on different flights of stairs with the cart of groceries in it. And someone will always ask with a smile, uh, need a hand with something? I said, well, just as long as I haven't forgotten how to read and write, I, I can't find my car, but I'll find it. And thanks. And if I, if I get in trouble, I'll come for you. And, uh, but you know what it reminded me of? And I told the Colonel this and, uh, he thought it was worth telling you that you never know when you hire folks. When when we my wife and I first moved into our house here, wow, we did a ton of work that cost a zillion dollars. And uh, but everyone does that, I suppose. You know, whatever it is, they've still got a well. They had to put up, uh, you know, more sheetrock on the walls and plaster that in, and make it all sturdy and make it all correct. It's not, but they really wanted to. We've been very, no, they did a fine job, but then they had to paint it. And the the painting crew, nice group of fellows, but it's always the same. I don't know where you are. In Southern California, well, we met the the guy from the painting company, some uh, guy, I think it was like Bill Higgins or something like that. And he came to the house and he said, yes, and he he was uh, was a nice man and uh, polite and... uh, about 35 years old, and it makes makes you feel good about, well, how do you like that? This guy's probably got a good painting company here. So we hired him, and he, we walked it around with him, and uh, he said, we'll do this and do this and do that. And, of course, that was the last time we ever saw him because at that point he sent his crew in, which is 14 guys who, well, had only been in the country for about 14 minutes. That's fine, you know, but it's 14 young fellas all, uh, and they're all painting away. And one of the, uh, one of the, but none of them could speak English. That's all right. That's, that's fine. But, uh, the phone rang one day and I got it. And the guy said, uh, he could, he could speak very, very little English, but he could get enough to say, get, uh, 
He was looking for one, and he said, one, get one. I said, all right, all right, good, hold on. And I went into the living room where there was adjacent to the hallway and the kitchen and the downstairs area where everybody was on ladders. And I said, Juan, I'm looking for Juan. Uh, it's a phone call for Juan. Who, who, who's, who's Juan? Juan, who's Juan? And uh, they all turned, and every one of them raised his hand. There's a kind of great moment in life of just, it's, it's comical, in a good way, in a healthy way. And I just, I laughed, and I saw every man with his hand up, and they were all themselves 25, 30 years old, and uh, the same outfits, the white painter's pants and the white T-shirt. And I said, uh, oh, well, there's a call for the... I did, Why am I speaking? They can't speak English. So I, I just said, all right, wait. I held up a finger, like a one-minute finger. I said, all right, wait, 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 right here, wait. And I go back into our room where the uh, phone was, and I just... Okay, I said to the guy, which one? Because uh, everybody's one. And so I don't understand... He didn't understand me. Also, which there's there are fourteen wands. Which one do you? And then it hit me. Hey, wait a second! I said, hold on, hold on, wait, wait, wait. I don't speak Spanish, and I put the phone down, and I walked back in the living room, and I just pointed at the first guy I saw, and said, Juan, and he, you know, nodded with a smile. And I said, okay, come here, come here, and I motioned to come here, and I took him into the room, and I just said. Uh, I said, can you always want to speak? And I said, yeah, there's a guy looking for, oh, for goodness sake, here, I just put the phone in his hand, and I figured, they can figure this out, and they did. And they, you know, started speaking Spanish to each other, and they figured out which one the guy was looking for. So I had, I left, you know, meaning they, they don't need me on that call. And, uh, but it makes you smile at how, once again, the little things well, become the big things. And uh, you and I already forget ourselves. You know that? I mean, well, I mentioned that uh, my friend Jeff Goldflam, God bless him, who was killed in the World Trade Center on 9-11. And you and I are forgetting that ourselves. Yesterday, a couple of days ago was, well, 9-11, 16 years after the attack. And, well, as you know, it's always difficult to force ourselves to remember things before they fade, because everything fades. No matter how much attention you pay to it, it always just drifts into the history books. And... Well, that's that's the way it is. I watched a special. There was a two-and-a-half-hour special on one of the cable networks. And, well, it's very important. You know, you look at it and you say, gee, how do you like that again? And remember friends of yours, like Jeff, who were lost in that. And uh, I remember I went with my wife and kids to the new thing they built there, the new trade center, or whatever they call it. But it's just... It's just one building instead of the two. And frankly, I don't like it at all. I mean, they went for so many months and years designing and redesigning and accepting pitches. And, well, we'll build this thing. It'll go that way and it'll have an angle here. You know, 
And I don't get that, folks, because I'm going to leave you with an image I've said for 16 years, and it goes for lots of things in life, too. When they spend all those months and years trying to design something and they went through dozens of different approaches and looks, I still thought then, and I still think this now. You know what to do? Why don't you just build it the same way it was, exactly the same two towers, but a foot higher? That's right, one foot higher. You're looking for an appropriate design? I think that's it. Two more brand new towers, the same as before, but one foot higher. Oh, and then you go kill everyone in seven different countries. You know, I'm not sure. But the thing that will last will not be them. It will be those two new towers, those two new trade centers, one foot higher. I know it and you know it. But that's because we know the same things. Homer is Homer, and Pluto is a planet. So remember, folks, as always, if you walked out of bed today and had a job to go to and a home to come back to and someone there who loves you, folks, the game's over and you've won. So be well, remember the right things, and we'll see you here next time. <laughs>